Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 22a, De Bello Gallico, Book 6, Chapters 14 to 16. In this episode, you will learn that taking notes makes your memory bad, and that you can always kill innocent people if there are no criminals around to sacrifice. Druides ab bello abesse consuerunt, neque tributa una cum reliquis pendunt, militiae vacationem omnium rerum habent immunitatem, tantis excitati primiis, et sua sponte, multi indisciplinam conveniunt, et a parentibus propinquisque metuntur, magnum ibi numerum versum e discera dicuntur, itaque annos non nulli vigenti indisciplina permanent. Neque fas esse existimant ea literis mandare, cum in reliquis ferre rebus publicis privatisque rationibus, graecis literis utantur. Id mihi duabus de causis instituisse videntur, quod neque in vulgum disciplinam efferi velent, neque eos qui discunt literis confisos minus memoriae studera. Quod ferre plerisque, agitit ut praesidio literarum diligentiam in perdiscendo ac memoriam remetant. In primis hoc volunt persuadera, non interire animas, sed ab aliis postmortem transire ad alios, atque hoc maxime ad virtutum excitari putant, metu mortis neglecto. Multa praeteria desideribus, atque eorum motu, de mundi ac terrarum magnitudine, De rerum natura, de deorum immortalium vi ac potestate disputant, et juventuti tradunt. Alterum genus est equitum. Hi, cum est usus, atque aliquad bellum incidit, quod fere ante caesaris adventum quot anis acidere solebat. Uti, aut ipsi in iurias inferent, aut in latas propulsarent. Omnes in bello versantur, atque eorum ut quisque est genera copiisque amplissimus, ita plurimos circumse ambactos clientesque habet. Hanc unam gratiam potentiamque noverunt. Natio est omnium galorum ad modum dedita religionibus, atque abeam causam quisunt ad facti gravioribus morbis, quique in proiliis periculisque versantur, aut pro victimis homines emolant. Out se immolatoros vovent, ad ministrisque ad ea sacrificia druidibus utuntur. Quod pro vita hominis nisi hominis vita redator, non posse deorum immortalium numen placari arbitrantur, publicaeque eustem generis habent instituta sacrificia. Alii imani magnitudine simulacra habent, quorum contexta viminibus membra vivis hominibus complent, quibus sucensis, Circum venti flama examantur homines. Supplicia eorum qui in furto, aut latrocinio, aut aliqua noxia sent comprehensi, gratiora dis immortalibus esse arbitrantur. Sed, cum eos generis copia deficit, 
etiam ad innocentium supplicia descendunt. The Druids have been accustomed to be absent from war, nor do they pay taxes together with the rest. They have exemption from the military and immunity of all things. Inspired by such great rewards, and of their own accord, many come together into the teaching and are sent by parents and relatives. There they are said to learn by heart a large number of verses, and so some remain in the teaching for twenty years. Nor do they consider it right to entrust these things to letters, although in most remaining matters, both in public and in private accounts, they use Greek letters. This seems to me to have been instituted for two reasons, because neither did they wish for their teaching to be brought out into the masses, nor do they want those who are learning, having relied on letters, to be less eager of memory, because it generally happens to many people that, with the protection of letters, they relax their diligence and memory in thoroughly learning. They especially want to persuade this, that souls do not perish, but after death pass from some to others, and because of this especially they think that they are stirred up to virtus, with the fear of death neglected. In addition, they dispute many things about the stars and their motion, about the size of the world and the lands, about the nature of things, about the strength and power of the immortal gods, and they hand these down to the youth. The other type is the equestrians. These, when there is need and some war happens, which before Caesar's arrival was accustomed to happen almost yearly, such that either they were inflicting injustices or they were driving back those inflicted on them, they all engage in war. And of these men, as each person is very distinguished in origin and forces, thus each has around himself very many dependents and clients. They know this one influence and power. The whole nation of the Gauls is exceedingly given over to religion, and for this reason those who have been afflicted with rather serious diseases, and those who are engaging in battles and dangers, either offer men in sacrifice in place of animal victims, or promise that they will sacrifice, and they use the Druids as attendants to these sacrifices. Because, unless the life of a person is returned in exchange for the life of a person, they do not think that the divine power of the immortal gods is able to be appeased, and publicly they have sacrifices of the same kind instituted. Others have likenesses of immense magnitude, whose limbs, woven with wickerwork, they fill with living people, after which has been set on fire, the people are killed surrounded by flame. The punishments of those who have been caught either in theft or robbery or some other offense they consider to be more pleasing to the immortal gods. But when the supply of this type is lacking, they descend even to the sacrifices of the innocent. Last time, we began Caesar's exploration of the culture, society, and religion of the Gauls. Here, he continues his study of the Druids before moving to the second social class mentioned last episode. Because of appealing benefits like exemption from taxes and military service, many people apply to Druid school. But the school seems particularly challenging because you are committing to spend up to 20 years in your studies, and you aren't allowed to write anything down. You have to memorize everything by heart. In reference to this piece of information, Caesar the author inserts a first-person opinion as to why the Druids don't write any of their teachings down, so that the masses can't learn them, and because writing information down means you will become lazy in memorizing it. Caesar does let you know that the Gauls can write, just that they choose not to, but in other spheres of life they write their language using the Greek alphabet. The Greeks started trade with the Gauls as early as the 6th century BC, but definitely had established trade routes for goods such as metals, wine, olives, seafood, and salt by the 4th century. From these merchants and traders, the Gallic people learned the Greek alphabet, which they adopted in order to write down their own language. 
Among the Druidic teachings, Caesar mentions that they believe in the immortality and transmigration of the soul, that when you die your soul passes to another body and you are born again. He also lets us know about several other topics the Druids enjoy discussing. First, he mentions their studying of the motions of the stars and constellations. This is a topic that Caesar himself would have had personal interest in, knowing what we know about his future revision of the calendar. Additionally, he mentions their interest in the workings of the earth and the universe, and about the power of the gods. Caesar then briefly moves to the second class of people he made mention of in the last episode, the equestrians. In Gallic society, these people were actually involved with the cavalry of the army and engage in military matters, where the Roman equestrian class no longer referred to those people who were not born of nobility but were wealthy enough to own a horse and fight in the cavalry. In the Roman army at this time, most of the cavalry was made up of foreign forces from Gaul or Spain and not Roman citizens. Caesar spends a lot less time talking about the equestrians than he does the Druids, mainly mentioning that they do the war things and that their only understanding of social power and influence comes from their number of clients and dependents, which if you think about it makes some sense for a people whose primary occupation is war. The larger a force you have backing you, the more influence you have. And we've actually seen this in action before, all the way back in Book 1, with Orgatorix's daring prison break and resulting battle. From there, Caesar returns to Gallic religion, saying that the Gauls are dedita religionibus, completely given over to religion. And as evidence for this, he turns to their practice of human sacrifice. Caesar mentions a few elements about Gallic human sacrifice. That the Gauls believe a life has to be offered in exchange for a life, so if someone is sick or entering into mortal danger, they make human sacrifices. That sometimes they conduct mass sacrifices, weaving giant wicker human-shaped structures and filling them with living people and setting them on fire. And finally, that criminals are the preferred sacrificial victims, so there seems to be a capital punishment element behind the custom. But if there aren't any available, innocent people will do in a pinch. The practice of human sacrifice in Rome wasn't officially prohibited by senatorial decree until 97 BC, so really not all that earlier than Caesar's time. And when thinking about a Roman triumph, a long ceremonial procession dedicated to the gods which culminates in the ritual murder of enemy commanders before visiting the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus, it seems as though the Romans were not totally divorced from the religious elements of capital punishment. The extent to which the Gauls practiced human sacrifice is rather unclear. Outside of Celtic Britain, there seems to be very little archaeological evidence for regular human sacrifice. In mainland Gallia, there just isn't a lot of support for Caesar's claims. Instead, scholars tend to view this passage as a literary invention, either for propaganda purposes or based on other sources that are also incorrect. The Romans tended to level charges of human sacrifice against their enemies, particularly whenever they wanted to depict an enemy as un-Roman. They did so against the Carthaginians, and later on against Jews and Christians, for example. But if this section is meant to emphasize the un-Romanness of the Gauls, then Caesar seems to be contradicting what he has been doing for the past few episodes, namely humanizing the Gauls and making them appear more proto-Roman. Maybe he is making sure to remind his audience that although they may appear more Roman on the surface, they are still the enemy, and as such engage in barbaric practices but I personally don't think this explains why he would shift his thematic tone as suddenly as he does. There is another possible explanation that might serve to help illuminate why Caesar writes the section the way he does, and why he might focus on the barbarous aspects of Gallic devotion to religion. In his depiction of Gallic Druid teachings, Caesar uses a specific phrase to describe their discussion of the workings of the universe, De rerum natura. 
This phrase also happens to be the title of a six-book poem looking at the universe from an Epicurean perspective, published around the same time by an author named Lucretius. In 54 BC, Marcus Cicero sent a letter to his brother Quintus, in which he alludes to the fact that both he and Quintus had read Lucretius's poem. So this means that the Cicero brothers had read at least sections of the work by 54. We can't be certain about this, but knowing that the De Rerum Natura had most likely been published in full before 54 BC, and knowing that Quintus Cicero was in Caesar's army as a commander of a winter camp at around this same time, and knowing that Marcus Cicero and Julius Caesar were in constant correspondence with each other, not just about politics but about literature, and considering the fact that many scholars have argued that there is strong evidence that Caesar himself was a follower of Epicureanism, it is at least possible that Caesar had recently read Lucretius's work and had it in mind when writing about the religious beliefs of the Gauls. De Rerum Natura is grounded in an Epicurean perspective, which believes in a material soul that perishes along with the body. This could explain why Caesar chooses to focus on the immortality and reincarnation aspect of Gallic belief. Additionally, De Rerum Natura, Book 1, mentions a specific human sacrifice as the outcome of wholesale, unquestioning devotion to religion and superstition. The sacrifice of Iphigenia by her father Agamemnon as an offering for a successful voyage to Troy. Lucretius writes two specific comments about the nature of religion in reference to her sacrifice. He says that it occurred when human life was lying foully on the ground before their eyes oppressed under heavy religion, and he mentions that instead of philosophy, more often that religion has brought forth criminal and impious deeds. If it is the case that Caesar is making nods to Lucretius and Epicureanism throughout this section, then his mention of human sacrifice might make a little more sense. Since Caesar notes at the beginning that the Gauls are given over to religion, this section could be another way, from an Epicurean perspective, to point out that the Gauls are more primitive than the Romans. But Caesar doesn't elaborate on the human sacrifices any more than in this short section, and he quickly moves on to a discussion of the specific gods of the Gauls, which we will see next time. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. What were the benefits and drawbacks to becoming a Druid? What reasons does Caesar give for why the Druids don't write their teachings down? How did the Gallic belief in the transmigration of an immortal soul change the way the Gauls viewed their own lives? What does Aeneas learn from Anchises about the fate of the soul in Book 6 of the Aeneid? How is this revelation similar to the doctrine of the Druids? Druids memorized verses. Equestrians practiced war every year. How does each type of training relate to the social function and the worldview of each social class? Caesar states that the Gallic equestrians know only one type of power and influence. How does this statement help explain the trial of Orgatorix in Book 1? How does Caesar's detached way of telling about human sacrifice contribute to your acceptance of it as fact, even if it might have been propaganda? Where might there be elements of Epicurean philosophy reflected in Caesar's evaluation of Gallic religion? How do Gallic executions compare and contrast to Roman methods of capital punishment, such as crucifixion, triumphal executions, and gladiatorial combat? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete.